You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be here with you. I am Matt. I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. Uh, I oversee all of our college and student ministry, so if I haven't met you, uh, I look forward to meeting you in person very soon, so we'll see. Um, Also, I I just reiterate what Jay said, man, we're praying, we're glad that so many of of you guys are safe, and um, please take advantage of contacting us if there's anything that you need, so um, yeah, let's get going here. We've been in the book of Matthew, and if you've been with us, uh, you've seen... You've seen Jesus uh, begin to elaborate on what the kingdom of God is all about. And, and at the heart of the kingdom of God is really relationships. Our relationship with God, the way he relates to us and us to him, and then, then our relationship with the, each other. And so Jesus wants, it, wants us to understand how important and significant those relationships are and the devastating consequences that we face if we get them wrong. And so last week, we see from Jay's sermon, Jesus is standing on, the, on, on this mountain, right? We call this the Sermon on the Mount. And he's speaking to these people, and, they, and they're coming from all over the place. And his disciples are there, and he's teaching them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're also there listening with skeptical ears. You see, they thought Jesus came to get rid of God's law, but that wasn't the case at all. Jesus, matter of fact, Jesus says, look, I didn't come to abolish the law, the the, the heart of what God has always wanted for his people. I came to fulfill it, to show you what it looks like lived out in, in spirit and truth. And he ended last week by, by saying this very alarming and arresting statement. He said, he looked at the people and he said this, he said, unless, excuse me, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees of the law, then you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to remember that these these scribes and teachers and Pharisees of the law, they were the acknowledged moral giants of the day. And, And they made it their lifetime goal to study the scriptures and to let people know just how well they were following God. Ever since God's people years ago came back from Cactus, captivity, the the Hebrew language wasn't the the common language anymore. It was Aramaic. And so it was this this very small kind of group of scribes and teachers and Pharisees that that really had access to the scriptures. They didn't have Bibles like you and I did walking around the streets those days. And so the people were dependent on these teachers to let them know basically what was God's will for their life. And and so they had great power over the, the, over the people. And oftentimes, you know how that goes, they, they would twist and pervert God's word. And they, they, they would basically apply part of it, but Jesus said they missed the heart of it. And so, if you and I today are gonna have a righteousness that exceeds the, the scribes, the Pharisees of the law, and the teachers of the law, now we need to go to Jesus. We need to listen to what he has to say. And so beginning today in our text from chapter 5, verse 21, all through the end of the chapter, Jesus is going to show us what that looks like lived out in relationship. And so it's really important that, that we're very careful when, as we listen to these 
passages over the next few weeks because there's no better treatment of the two um, competing types of righteousness in all of scripture. On the one hand, a righteousness that is merely external. It follows rules and laws, but there's no heart behind it. We'll see there's, there's even anger. Or a righteousness that, that flows out of a heart of love that's empowered by the spirit of God himself. And it's this better righteousness that Jesus is calling us to. And it's, it's this better righteousness that we need. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we want this type of righteousness. We, we want to learn from you. We, we know that, that we're wrong in so many areas. And so we look to you, Jesus, for correction and for guide, guidance and lead us into the way that leads to everlasting. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Open our ears and eyes to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'll just warn you, it's going to get a little intense today because Jesus, Jesus is going to start talking about anger and, and, excuse me, the, it's logical, destructive conclusion if we don't deal with it in a constructive way. So I just want to begin by reading our text here today. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakah is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together and on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. And listen to this. He says, truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penalty. This is the word of the Lord for us. These are strong words, surprising words. So I just want to break this down together. Let's, let's just start from the beginning. The, this first command that, that he's talking about, the, the command do, not to murder, um, he, he says, you've heard it said long ago. So he's talking to the people, he's saying, this has been passed down from rabbis and tradition over and over. And we know that this, this, this command comes from Exodus chapter 20. It's in the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue for you Bible people out there. It's, it's, it's the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And, and then the judgment piece really is contained in all the rest of the, the Torah, right? The Old Testament teachings about, about what to do with someone who commits murder or manslaughter or wrongful death. And so Jesus says, look, you guys have heard this, right? And I want to stop for a second because I think everybody listening would, would, have, would have agreed, yeah, yeah, murder's wrong. Right? I mean, I, I think most of us listening today, if I, were to, if I were to ask you, do you think murder deserves a punishment? I think we, we'd all be on board. We'd, we'd be like, yeah. Even those of you who are the, you know, do not judge people, you know who you guys are, that, hey man, you know, I, I, you do you. I guarantee if old murderer might come down the lane, you know, hey Mike, you do you. Nobody says that, right? We, we, we don't. We know that murder is wrong. 
Now, how, what the consequence is, we could argue about, but, but we know that. But let, let me ask you a question. If I were to bring you up on stage here with me today and ask you a question, how would you answer this? If I said, why is murder wrong? Why is it that murder is wrong? What if your life would be so much better if that particular person didn't exist anymore? What if they were an inconvenience to you? What if nobody really cared about him in the first place? Now, I hope none of you are saying at this point, you know, Matt, you make a good point. I never really thought about it that way. Right? Because if you are, uh, come on down in about 25 minutes and I'll talk to you out front. Um, <clears throat> none of us think like that. Okay? We, we know murder's wrong. But the scriptures have a very unique answer to as to why. A, a, a very objective reason why taking the life of another person is wrong. And it's not just because we all agree. I mean, we, we know just from looking at history, I mean, the Holocaust was like 75 years ago. And we look back on that and we think, how could, how could so many people have been on board with this kind of evil? And if you have a worldview where God himself doesn't exist, you have no objective basis for saying murder is wrong. Now, you might have a sentiment you, you, you might have some kind of uh, reasoning or tradition or feeling or even popular opinion, but you have no objective reason. So, so like in a Darwinian narrative, right? There's no objective reason why murder is wrong. But the reason the scripture tells us murder is wrong is because you, me, and everybody on this earth has been created in the image of God. It's not wrong because you feel like it's wrong or, or because we all agree on it. It's wrong because from the womb to the tomb, every single one of us, every ethnic, tribe, tongue, and, and nation is created in the image of God. Every socioeconomic class, every ethnic group, every orientation bears the image of God. And so when someone's murdered, at a spiritual theological level, level God is the one being offended here. And he has so enmeshed himself in, in humanity that, that to murder and to do wrong to another human is to do wrong to God himself. Look at this passage. We know this passage. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is where we get our dignity. We're created in God's image. And whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. No matter what value society gives you, your value lies and is rooted in the fact that you were created in the image of God. And so here's Jesus' point, I think. Where, where are you going with this, Matt? Here's where we're going. If we all agree that people have value and dignity, and we all agree that, that people that, that, that murder sh should, should have some, some sort of punishment, I think he's setting us up so we can feel the weight of what he's about to say next, because he's going to take a step further down into their heart, into your heart, into my heart today. L look at what he says. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. This is the authority of Jesus coming strong. But I say to you, and he has the authority, he is the Lord. He's, but he's making a parallel statement. He's saying murder equals judgment. Well, anger also equals judgment. He's saying that they're, they're both worthy of judgment in the eyes of God. It's almost as if he's saying the way you feel about murder is the way you should feel about your anger. 
What is this anger Jesus is talking about? Because we know anger is a very personal and intense emotion, right? You get cut off in traffic, you rage. Somebody, one of your coworkers says something behind your back, you find out about it. I mean, you, you, you start boiling, right? Sarcastic comments, passive aggressive comments. It shows up in our lives in very insignificant, or for very small and insignificant reasons at times. But what exactly is anger? I, I want us to look at a definition that we're going to start working from here. Anger is a spontaneous feeling that comes over our mind and body when our will is thwarted. When, when someone or something blocks what we want from happening to happen. Now listen, anger is not always bad, right? I mean, we know this. There are times when anger is the most emotionally healthy response to the evil and injustice that we see in our world. I mean, read the scriptures. Jesus gets angry, right? He gets angry when they, when, when they turn God's, God's house that should be a house of prayer into a den of thieves where they're ripping people off. He gets angry at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. You're saying you love God, but, but the, all this injustice that, that you're promoting here. He gets angry at people's unbelief because he knows that there's no plan B. He's the son of God. He's come to seek and save that which was lost. And if you reject him, you reject life. Which is why Paul later in Ephesians will say things like, in your anger, do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin. So Jesus never says, don't be angry. Anger is an emotion. It's not, it's not an action, right? I mean, we, we can't control our emotions, but we can certainly influence them. And so what is Jesus actually saying here when he talks about this anger? There's a little translation issue that, that we need to look at. So there's, there's two words that the New Testament uses for anger. And the first one is this word. And this is, this is like that anger when, when you get cut off and you, and you flip out and you may even throw an expletive here and there, but... Um, Five minutes later, you calm down. You never think about it again. It's done. And then there's this word. And you can try and pronounce this one at home. Have fun with that. Uh, but but this, is, this is a different kind of anger. This is that deep, visceral anger that, that you brood over. It's like a grudge that you carry around with you. It, 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 it plays over and over in your mind. And it results, and here's the word, in contempt. Both can be destructive, but the, this latter one is toxic. And this is, the, this is the word Jesus is using here. And so maybe even a better translation is how Bruner translates it. He, he says that whoever is being angry, whoever is nursing a grudge or to, to a brother or sister or someone in the community will be subject to judgment. And then Jesus shows us two ways in which this plays out. The first is in the form of an insult. We see the word rakah. Okay, now, we don't know exactly what that means. Commentators think it means something like empty head or you idiot. Basically, it's, a, it's an Aramaic expletive from back in the day. It's an insult. You know, and I was thinking about this. We can be so careless with our words, even to those that we love. I remember my dad. Man, that guy. I mean, he loved me. He loved us. But that guy could get angry. And he used to, he'd fly off the handle. If me and my brothers were doing something he didn't, he didn't approve of, he'd say things like, boy, you got the brains of a piss ant. Now, I don't think that's a real thing. But what does it communicate? It's something really small and insignificant and beneath him. 
And it's something you get rid of, right? We relieve ourselves of that. And so we got to be so careful with, with, with what we say. And, and words are so much more important than, than we actually think. And Jesus is going to press in on that. Our anger has significant consequences if left unchecked. Now today, we don't say Raka. You might say, hey, you dumb F or you ass or you, you know, whatever. Well, of course not you guys. But people like you. Maybe you. You know what we do. We say things. And, um, and Jesus said, whoever says things like that is answerable to the court. That, that the court back then is the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of ancient Israel, which often they thought was a parallel court to what was going on in heaven. So obviously if they're representing God on earth, they're, they're trying to uphold his values and whatnot. And so Jesus says, man, you're answerable for that. And then he goes even further and he says, anyone who says you fool, which will be in, da in danger of the fire of hell. This is, this is the term moro. We, we get our the word moron from this word. And you get the idea. It can mean someone who's both stupid and immoral. Comes up in the Proverbs a lot. And so now we've moved from an insulting mean word to, 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 to judgment on a whole person. So we, we go from shaming their behavior to literally shaming their whole personhood. And keep in mind, Jay reminds us of, of this all the time. This is an honor-shame culture. This is a big deal. Matter of fact, the rabbis of this day, they had this saying. Listen to this. Three classes go down to Gehenna, which is the word for hell here, and do not return. Number one, the adulterer. Number two, he who puts his neighbor openly to shame. And number three, he who gives his neighbor an insulting name. So Jesus warns about hell, about Gehenna. Now, let's, let's talk about this. When you see this word hell, don't think of Dante's Inferno or all the images that have been pumped back into the scripture. We often do that. The, the word for hell here is Gehenna, which is a very real place that everyone who was listening to Jesus knew exactly where he was talking about. It's right over there. It's on the south side of Jerusalem. And so some of you guys have actually literally been there. You've, you've taken pictures of hell, of Gehenna. But historically, it was a valley where ultimately, where Israel was at its worst. We read about it in 2 Chronicles 2, or 2 Chronicles 28. King Ahaz, a king who did wrong in the eyes of his God. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire there, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Hell was a very real place that you didn't want to end up, end up in. And by Jesus' day, it became this garbage dump where they burned refuse 24 hours a day. Hence the imagery, the fires of hell. Now over time, that became a metaphor for ultimately the judgment at the end of the age. So why does Jesus warn, why, why does he lay out such a severe warning on hell for something that seems really common among people. Many of us struggle with anger and insults. Well, we're going to get some help from R.T. France. He's an amazing commentator on Matthew. Listen to what he says here. I'll put it up on the screen. Jesus' pronouncement is thus, that ordinary insults may betray an attitude of contempt which God takes extremely seriously. And the totally unexpected conclusion in hellfire 
comes as a shocking jolt to the complacency of the hearer who might well have chuckled over the incongruous image of a person being tried for anger or for a conventional insult only to be pulled up short by the saying's conclusion. What's he saying? Whether you were sitting there listening to Jesus then or you're sitting here listening to Jesus right now, we, we might be tempted to say, come on, Jesus, court for that? And then he drops that line about hell. And then we realize what a big deal our anger is that we carry around with us. How it ends up spewing out of our mouths it's far, and festering in our hearts. It's far more destructive than anything we ever thought or realized. Listen to what James says. In, in chapter 3, he says that the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. There's a timely metaphor. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. Murder is merely anger resulting in contempt played out to its logical conclusion. So if murder's the tree, anger's the seed, and that seed has all the potential material in it to grow into that tree. That's exactly what's going on here. This is why in 1 John, John says this. He says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, most of us don't think we're, we're angry people. But if you actually assess how often you belittle others in your mind, how, yeah, how, how often you, you whisper to other people, you talk about people behind their back, and, and you, you express the disdain you have for others, you might begin to realize how deeply sub submersive your anger really is. And we live in a time when our world is it's really angry. Matter of fact, our world actually encourages us to produce anger or encourages us toward anger to produce its desired results. I mean, look what's going on in our major cities around our country. Both sides of the aisle, so nobody gets off here. Anger is, is used to produce results. And often you can be mocked or shamed if you're not angry enough or if you're not angry at the right things. And we've actually seen this play out in the past couple weeks. This anger resulting directly in murder in our city. We saw it happen. And so let me ask you a question. Does God want anger to characterize our lives? The, the media seems to want to. The world certainly wants it to. But does God? And some of you are so angry with our politicians today. And I don't care if it's Trump Biden, Pelosi, you know, who's that other guy? Uh, you know, you know him. Kate Brown. The things you say about these people are so destructive. I mean, how do we think that's helping anything? The way we talk about these people who are created in the image of God. Now look, I, you don't have to agree with them. That's fine. Get out and vote. Do your thing. But that kind of disdain and contempt that leaks out into our words has no place in the kingdom of God. 
That kind of anger is toxic. It's a deadly poison. And it not only hurts them, it hurts you. And ultimately, it's an offense to God himself. And that's why James puts it this way. He says, look, my de- listen to his plead. My dear brothers and sisters, take note. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jesus is calling for a righteousness, but, but worldly anger, human anger, will not produce it. And we want Jesus' righteousness. We want the righteousness that's legit that flows from hearts of love. And this is why all through the New Testament, we we read passages like, get rid of all malice, get rid of all anger, get rid of all murder. Because if we get rid of anger, the seed, that tree never shows up. We get rid of murder altogether. And here's one more I just want you to look at. Listen to the harsh words that Jesus has for those who continue in hardness of heart. He says, you belong to your, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, these, these moral leaders of the day. You, be, you, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the fathers of lies. But yet you don't believe me because I tell you the truth. That's why you don't believe me. There's a hardness there. It's not enough not to murder. That's a, that's a really low bar. Think about it. I was talking to Sarah. I'm like, Sarah, how, how, how's your day? Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, good for you. Well done. I mean, what, what if you were actually planning on murdering your ex or something, and you get right around the corner, you got your gun, you're cocked and loaded, and boom, you get in a car wreck. Oh, well, good. at least I didn't murder. So you think this is the deal? Jesus says, no, it started way, way far back. It starts right down in here. It's not enough not to murder. And if we seek to hold on to a self-righteousness that merely follows rules and we never get to that righteousness that Jesus was calling about, that, that changes our hearts, that allows the spirit to begin to change and work something new in us, Jesus says, you're on a trajectory to hell. Because there's no room for that kind of anger in the kingdom of God. And so here's what happens. We get angry. Okay, you guys know this. Something happens. We, 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 get, we get angry. We start simmering. We play it over in our minds. Our ego gets wounded. We, we play the self-righteous victim. They're wrong. We're right. We never like to own our own stuff. And, and what do we do? Then we give our heart over to contempt and we start, you know, throwing out a few words. We insult, we throw some tweets out. And what's the result? You freaking moron, you fool. We say things like that. What's the result? Well, it's hell on earth. Okay, we, we become vessels of death and destruction instead of life and blessing. And if we continue down that path, you know what it looks like. Domestic abuse, violence, rage, people being killed in our streets. It's horrible. So how do we break the cycle? What do we do? Jesus has exposed all of us here. We've all trafficked in this. None of you are sitting there, I wonder what Matt's talking about today. You know what we're talking about. So he gives us two examples, two practical illustrations that, that, that move us in the right direction. Um, I'm not going to read them again, but um, 
He says, go and be reconciled. You know, that story that, that um, Sarah was sharing about her son, it, it's, it's just, it's right here. It's like, you're going to worship the Lord. He says, stop. Your relationship with God is so interwoven to your relationship with other people. Which is why in 1 John, John says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. The, the, they can't both be true. And so when you come to the altar, you come to worship the Lord, and you, you realize, and, and get this, it's not you that's saying, someone's got something against you. Which is interesting, right? Because you're the righteous one coming to worship the Lord. Oh, wait. Maybe we're all not as righteous as we thought. We offend each other. We know this. And so we go. We take the initiative. That's what Jesus says. In the kingdom of God, we take the initiative. We're never going to be free from offending people. So we take the initiative to make it right when we know it's wrong. Our, and and our, that good work of reconciliation, that doesn't, that doesn't make us or give us favor with God. It, it actually expresses that God is actually working in and through us. And the second thing is this. He says, settle matters quickly with that, those who are dragging you off to court. All this is saying is make the most of every opportunity to reconcile with other people. Because if you don't, if you fail to take advantage of the opportunity of reconciliation, it means that you're going to have to live with the consequences of, of being unreconciled with, with people. And the penalty is far worse than you could ever imagine. Both with others and I believe with God. And so what do we do in our sin and brokenness when Jesus reveals our hearts here? Well, you have two choices at this point. Number one, you could reject him outright. Come on, Jesus, there's no, yeah, forget about him. I'm not so bad. I haven't killed anyone. And you continue to live with contempt in your heart and it poisons you and it poisons those around you and, and you walk away from the kingdom of God, from the only source of life there is. That's one option. Or the second option is you believe him. You feel the weight of what he's saying. You realize that you've been exposed. You have that in your heart. Or you've had it. You, you know what he's talking about. And instead of trying to run and hide and, and shut Jesus out, you run to him and you allow him to begin to heal you and forgive you. Allow him to pour his spirit into your heart and begin to change you from inside. And Jesus demonstrates what he's talking about because this is the heart of the gospel. Think about it. Jesus left the proverbial altar of heaven where he had intimate relationship with the Father and the Spirit. And he came to those of us who had contempt for him. In our sin and our rebellion, we hated him. And he came with arms of reconciliation and wrapped us up and invited us into relationship. And as we confess our sin and as we receive the gift that he offers us, man, we become changed. And we don't have to carry around that anger anymore. And we remember that people have utmost value, even the ones you disagree with. Remember what he says. He says, it's the peacemakers. Those are the ones who are called the children of God. And so we make it our aim to be reconciled to all who have anything against us. And it's the pure in heart. Those are the ones who see God. And so we follow Jesus' example, being reconciled. We, we reject the enticements and lures of this world to use anger to our advantage. We follow the king and we walk in newness of life. And won't you lay your anger down at the feet of Jesus today?
Man, our prayer, my prayer, all of our prayer is that um, we allow the words of Jesus to really just sit on us and, and expose those areas that, that uh, may be hindering us from, from true intimacy with him and with other people. And I just want to say something to those of you um, about reconciliation, because it's really important. Some of you have been experiencing some really hardcore abuse in your life. And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. And, and being reconciled to others as God calls us to um, doesn't necessarily mean you enter back into relationship with that, with that abuser. That's not, that's not what scripture calls, calls you to. But I think Jesus does call you to something. He calls you to lay down that contempt, turn that offense over to him, knowing that he will judge righteously. And, 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 and you walk and, and you receive the forgiveness, you receive the empowerment rather that he can give you. And you lay down that contempt because if you don't lay down that contempt and that, that anger, man, it's going to kill you. And you've already faced enough destruction in your life. So I just want to make that clear. And it's a complex issue. And listen, if you want to talk more about that, we're here. We would love to talk to you. Call the office. If we can't help, man, we'll connect you with someone that can. But um, that's just really important to remember. I want to close by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 20. For the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do so any, any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us through himself, or to himself through Christ and gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. We therefore, as Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Man, if you've never been reconciled to God, go to Jesus today and be reconciled to God. And for those of us who have, man, let's continue this ministry of reconciliation. Let's be peacemakers as we walk in the kingdom, both now and into eternity. And God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.